Welcome to Matthew Felix, the radio episodes, words, and images. I'm Matthew Felix, author of the novel A Voice Beyond Reason and the travel story collection With Open Arms, short stories of misadventures in Morocco. In February 2018, what is now my Matthew Felix On Air video podcast began as an internet radio program in downtown San Francisco. The radio episodes, Words and Images podcast, feature segments from that radio show in which I converse with writers, photographers, filmmakers, and more. I hope you like the show. And don't forget to check out the current incarnation, Matthew Felix On Air, available here as well as on Facebook and YouTube. Thanks for listening and talk soon. Erica Heitman Ford has over 20 years of experience as a graphic designer. She has done work for clients such as Victoria's Secret, Barnes & Noble, and Whole Foods. Erica is principal and creative director at Heitman Ford, a design agency specializing in branding, packaging, and websites for small businesses. For 12 years before opening her own agency, Erica was design director at MUCA in New York City, where she designed hundreds of book covers for publishers including HarperCollins, Rizzoli, Penguin Random House, and John Wiley and Sons. Erica was honored in AIGA, the Professional Association for Design's 50 Books, 50 Covers, an annual competition recognizing the year's best book cover designs. Erica's work has been featured in magazines such as Print, How, and Communications Arts. She lives with her husband and son in Brooklyn. And when she's not designing, she performs improv and writes science fiction. Welcome, Erica. Hi. All right, it worked. Me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Okay, so this we've just made history. This is the first time on the show that I've had someone call in, so I was a little nervous about the technical uh, aspect of things, but it was actually pretty ridiculous. Actually, it was just one button. I thought it was a lot more involved than that. But anyway, how's it, how are things in New York today? Yeah, it's good. It's sunny. It's sunny, because I think you were just dumped on a ridiculous amount of snow recently, right? Yeah, it's been pretty miserable, but today it's pretty nice out. All right, good. I'm glad to hear it. So let's just jump right into things. So you have over 20 years of a design experience. So why did you start with design? What, what, um, how, when, and why did you get started? What drew you into it? Um, you know, when I was a kid in, well, grade school all the way through high school, I used to, I was an artist. You know, I, I drew and painted a lot on my own. It was kind of um, yeah, it was just something that I always did in my free time, and uh, I think at the time, you know, it was, it was a long time ago, and when I went to go enter college, I just knew I wanted to do something with art, and I don't remember, somebody just said, oh, maybe you should try being a graphic designer, and I said, okay, sounds good, let's do it. Um, I think it was, it was more difficult to get information back then. You know, I mean, it was before the Internet. And right. um, graphic design really was not the, the industry it was today. I mean, we were the first. I was in the first fully digital class. Really? And before my class in college, um, everybody was still doing things. You know, they were cutting things out with X-Acto knives and using waxers and things. So um, it was like a, the beginning of a new era of graphic design. Wow, interesting. Interesting. I I never would have realized that, but I guess 20 years is a long time. Um, I have to say I'm jealous. I'm always jealous of people who know from almost the get-go what they want to do. And I mean, I understand that you didn't know that graphic design was necessarily even a 
career, but you knew that you wanted to do something with the visual arts, and you knew from an early age. So I'm always jealous of people who, uh, for whom that's the case. But you actually just touched on on sort of the next thing I was going to ask you about, and and you know I was just wondering how much of being a good graphic designer comes from having sort of an innate sense of space and color and layout and all the different other elements that go into graphic design versus learning to work with those and learning to be a designer. I mean, how much of design can be learned versus is just sort of innate, like you were already predisposed to the visual arts. Um, but how much, where, where do you have to, or how does, how does that work? Yeah, um, uh, it's, it's a tough question. I mean, there's definitely some people that just have better artistic sense than other people. And, you know, I always say when sort of training younger designers, you know, you can teach them how to use the tools, but it, it's hard to teach people how to, to actually just have a sense for what looks good. Um, so you can definitely go to school to learn about typography and, you know, how to kern your letters and, and how to do a good composition, but uh, some people are just going to have a better artistic knack than others. Yeah, that's that's what I sort of suspected. I mean, it seems to me like... I don't know, just having a good visual sense and a sense of space. And it seems to me like there's a, a certain degree of that that is sort of innate or that sort of you just pick up as you're, as you're growing up and it's not necessarily, it's not just an intellectual activity, I guess. And like you said, you can teach someone to use the tools, but I would suspect that with any visual art, you kind of need to have some sort of innate ability or predisposition or, or whatever the case might be. Yeah, I think it's the same in any artistic field, you know, like writing or music, you know, you can learn uh, the technique, but there's just always something you need a little bit extra to make you go further than everyone else. Right. Something else I was thinking about that I'm curious about with regards to graphic design, and it's similar but different, and it's it's less with um, with regards to being a graphic designer, or less with um, someone's ability to be a graphic designer, and more about... Once you are a graphic designer, it seems to me like one of the most difficult things would be um, getting the client to articulate their vision well enough for you to turn it into reality. Because we can have these things in our heads, and I might be your client, and I might think I have this really good idea of what I want. But we're really talking about taking something that's completely abstract and turning it into some sort of physical or even at least digital reality. So how do you, I mean, is that that a challenge for, for you? And how do you navigate that with clients? It's definitely a challenge, and um, this is definitely a difference between younger designers and more well-seasoned designers, is really the ability to read between the lines. Um, You know, clients, sometimes they don't give me all the information because they're like, well, you know, I didn't know if you want to hear this and that, and I say, tell me as anything, every little thing that you can tell me about, you know, feedback on stuff or what you're looking for, because... Um, it is kind of, it's kind of a skill to, I I almost call it, call it brand therapy. It's kind of like the ability to listen to a client and, and interpolate what they're trying to say and what they're really looking for. And younger designers won't, they won't get that. They'll just do what they have in their mind. Um, they won't be able to really translate what somebody else is looking for. And why not? And I think why yeah. is that the case with younger designers versus more mature ones? Um, what do you think I is think the... I think because they, you know, as a younger designer, they really feel like 
they have more of the answers, you know, uh, as uh-huh, younger, uh-huh. you know, especially like with the millennials, I think it's like they, you know, they know about design and they're going to design something cool, you know, as is very much the case with graphic design these days, everybody wants to do something cool, but you know, it's not just about doing something cool. It's, it is really about listening to the client and figuring out what they want you know, who their audience is, what they're trying to market. Um, and it's not just about being cool. So right. I think as a more seasoned designer, you kind of start to like understand those intricacies. And I think that's one of the biggest problems. Actually, you know, I worked in software and did doing, I didn't do software development, but I worked in software development. And one of the biggest problems, and I think it's really just a project management issue, regardless of the discipline, whether it's graphic design or software or whatever the project might be, um, just this idea of really getting, really being clear with with um, whoever you're doing the work for, and play, letting them have, you know, really, um, how can I say this, putting paying attention to what they're saying, first of all, making sure you've really heard what they've said. And a lot of times that means writing it down so that, that you can give it back to them and say, hey, this is what I heard. Is this is this really what you want? Um, I think that's one of the biggest challenges with any sort of project like that. Do you actually, so when you say when you meet with a client, do you actually write down what you think you heard? Do you have to go through that? Or as a graphic designer, are you more, is that, would that be a little bit overkill? Yeah, I mean, it, dep- it depends on the project. So, um with branding, we definitely go through a phase of strategy, and that is basically what you're talking about. So we'll start off with some sort of creative brief where, um, you know, the client will outline what they're looking for, and you will sort of send it back to them and, you know, reword it a little bit so that it's very clear. And then it's true. A lot of times the clients say, well, actually, I don't, that's not really right. Or, you know, you kind of make sure that, Sometimes what they're saying is not really what they have in their mind. Um, so then we kind of move forward to um, some strategy, which happens even before like the design work and that sort of figuring out the exact positioning and the tone of the work that the client wants to do. And that will involve, again, like who their key audience is, um, you know, how... Uh, you know, things like, is this going to be very high end? Is this going to be very accessible for everybody? You know, and then we play with things like, what is the personality of what we're doing? You know, is it going to be friendly? Is it going to be, you know, very serious and intellectual? I mean, there's all kinds of things depending on the different project, but um, all of these things are really important before even starting any kind of visual work. So you basically have to help them hone their vision. They think they've got a certain vision, but they don't necessarily know all the questions to ask, and they don't necessarily know what all the options are. So part of your job is is also helping them go a little bit further and define that. Yeah, and it does depend on the client because somebody, you know, if it's like a marketing team inside a, a bigger company, they will sort of know a lot of that. So I've definitely worked on projects where they've come to you with that stuff already kind of flushed out. Um, but then, you know, right now I am working with a lot of smaller businesses and some, sometimes a lot of those people, they're not as familiar with um, a lot of this language and just how specific you need to be when you start working on a project. And in that case, I am definitely helping um, a lot with that. Right. All right. I have one more question that's sort of a general graphic designer related question, and then we'll move on to the um, book covers part of the conversation. But I'm just curious, 
How does the role of designer overlap with those of illustrators and photographers? Because you said, for example, when you were younger, part of what got you into graphic design was that you were actually into drawing and you were into the visual arts. But graphic designers, you're not usually doing the illustrations. You're not usually doing the photographs, I don't think, right? So aren't you, do you, you usually have to work with illustrators and photographers or do graphic designers do that as well? I'm just curious what the overlap is there with the different roles. Yeah, so... um it's funny because when I first went into college, there was like this kind of rumor that like, don't go into illustration because you won't make any money. You know, being an illustrator, it's very hard to make a living at that. And um, but I think times have, have really changed. I mean, especially with um, the ability to find illustrators a lot easily, you know, a lot more easily now on the Internet and everything. Um, but it's true. There's definitely a separation between um, graphic designers and illustrators for the most part. There's definitely graphic designers who, who are amazing illustrators. Right. Um, and, you know, the same, there's graphic designers that also do photography. There's def- definitely a lot of crossover. Um, but in general, um, I would say um, as a graphic designer, you tend to serve more as an art director. So you're more as organizing the project, setting the tone, um, choosing the illustrator or photographer based on the project. So, again, if I'm designing something that needs to be whimsical, I would look for a whimsical illustrator, you know, that would kind of fit in with my style, and I would sell that, uh, propose that to the client. And then, you know, if everybody's on board, then we would go ahead and hire the illustrator and then even, you know, direct them as to, uh, what kind of illustrations we need, how many, you know, all kinds of things like that. Yep. Um, so kind of managing the, the project. Yep. Okay, thank you very much for that. So I understand now that you have um, largely moved on from book covers, but you did do book covers for a long time. Like I said in your intro, you've done hundreds of them, and you've done novels, including my novel, and you've done cookbooks, a lot of cookbooks, and non, uh, general nonfiction as well. So can you tell me how you got into that particular, the book cover niche? Yeah. Um, so my first job out of college uh, when I was an intern was actually at a company called Workman Publishing in Manhattan. And um, they do um, a lot of cookbooks. That's probably um, at least half their business. And they do a lot of um, like gift and resource books as well. Um, and they, uh, I don't know if they still did it at the time, they, they had a bunch of other smaller imprints um, that did uh, some fiction um, work as well. Um, so, yeah, I worked there for a couple of years. So, and the very first thing I did was, like, learn how to design cookbooks, um, you know, covers and interiors, which is, like, one of the most difficult uh, kinds of books to design just because there's so many different pieces. So um, that was actually a really good education for me. Um, and even now it's amazing how a lot of designers don't know how to do um, things like that I learned from when I was very young. So Such um, as? Um, just setting, I guess it gets a little nerdy, but, you know, setting <laughs> a lot of typography, uh, like recipes, just like sort of type stuff. And they don't need to learn um, but, that now because why? Because the software kind of helps them with that or? No, it's just, it's just a matter of subject matter. You know, a lot of designers 
um, Baby Tooth may not have worked on something that was just that um, okay. labor intensive and that detailed. Um, so kind of starting out with something that complicated, you can definitely work on easier stuff, no problem. But, you know, to go the other direction requires like a lot more uh, knowledge. So um, so I sort of started off with like the hardest thing and then, and then work, you know, backwards as far as type uh type goes but um so yeah I started off in cookbooks and then um I uh moved to a branding agency for a few years and then kind of jumped back to MUCA where I said I was at for 12 years and they um did a lot of book covers so I sort of jumped back into doing book covers and then um I was sort of their go-to cookbook person whenever those projects would come up so um, I sort of did a mix of that for a number of years. So let's focus uh, selfishly on the fiction book cover work that you've done. Um, I'm just curious, sort of philosophically, you know, what is the main goal when you're designing a cover for, say, a novel? Now, obviously, you want to get attention for the book. That that I get. But I mean, kind of beyond that, for from more a design perspective, you know, is, is the purpose... Um, just to get attention, or is it really to represent the story that's in the book? Um, what what are kind of the motivations, or is it really just that obvious? It really is just about getting attention and selling the book. Yeah, so it really depends on uh, who the client is. Um, so um, you brought up that me and you worked together on this book cover. And right. so um, the reason I'm differentiating this is because... Um, you know, working directly with an author is uh, very different than working with a publisher. And I had worked um, with authors before, so this wasn't the only time I, I did that. But um, an author has a different priority than a publisher. So an author, really, it's very important to them that the book cover reflects the story um, and the details in the story. Um, and so you and I went through that. Right. Um, a little bit about, you know, what the, the setting should actually look like. And, um, so I, I, I worked on hundreds and hundreds of book covers, um, where the publisher would give me two paragraphs really about the book. Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Interesting. And, um, for them, it was just not important to be, um, accurate to the actual story and instead to them um it is very important to um yes like convey you know first of all you have to convey very obvious things like the kind of book it is so you know is this a a romance novel or is it a thriller or you know uh things like that so um obviously like that that will um influence the type choices and the image choices and stuff like that. And then, um, you know, market trends are very important to publishers. And I've had publishers just flat out say, we want this book cover to look like this other book, Uh you know, because uh this other book was a giant hit or whatever. Right. Uh, So, um, you know, they're very much looking at like what's selling and, um, you know, that, that does inspire a lot of uh, what goes on is, like, people are looking at these book covers and getting influence for other book covers. And 
it's kind of a little bit unfortunate because it does sort of ruin a little bit of originality. But it's you know, if you go into the bookstore, you see a lot of uh, you know things get repeated on covers. There's definitely trends in typography and style of what's happening. So publishers are just very aware of that and what's selling. So like that's very much in the top of their mind. Whereas like I was saying with an author, it's very much more important to capture what's actually happening, you know, inside the novel and to be uh, accurate. Right. There. Yeah. So if I, if you get two paragraphs from a publisher and they say, design a book, <laughs> how do you how do you do that with just two paragraphs? And I and I I've heard what you just said with regards to they don't necessarily care that you even depict the story, which I'm I'm struggling with here. Um, I feel sort of cheated as a consumer. But but what do you do when you've only got two paragraphs? I guess you're not worried about depicting the story because they're not. So really, it's just kind of you. Um, I mean, how do you proceed? Do you just come up with a few different covers and and see which direction they like, or what what's the process? Then yeah, when you're dealing I mean. With them? Um... You know, they'll they'll sort of tell you, you know, generally what the book is about. But, you know, they may say um, uh, there's a really important scene with a tree. You know, we want you to, to do something that feels like a thriller, you know, that has a tree on it. You know, and then, you know, you kind of know what the book is about. So, um, you know, that might be kind of like a, a starting point. But... Um, and very often they're repeat authors, you know, a lot of, it's not to say it's never a first time author, but, um, you know, a lot of times you've seen the author's previous novels, which, you know, also helps, uh, similar look and feel kind of tone. There's usually some consistency as far as, you know, the, the world that a certain author might live in, um, yeah, and that's a, and you know I've definitely gotten full manuscripts before. Um, it 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 depends on the publisher and the way the publisher works. Uh, it's interesting. Um, I did do some YA books at some point. So young adult books. Oh, young adult books, and um, they tend to want you to um, show exactly what the uh, characters look like. They often put people on their covers. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and they're very picky, like, well, the, you know, because I think as a teenager, <laughs> teenagers are very aware of body, they're very body conscious and conscious about, you know, fashion and like, so what the characters look like is very important in, in a young adult novel. So very often they will show the character in the front and then you have, you know, the girl has to have red hair and she wears glasses and <laughs> she has a red hat and, and it's, it's just like an, of another very different um way of doing a book cover yeah yeah interesting interesting so um i was going to go in a couple different directions here so i guess what are so we've talked about you know working with with publishers but let's say i were an independent author and i was going to do my own cover i see a lot of covers out there by um you know self-published authors that might be a little lacking so what kind of elements would you tell people? Now, of course, I'm not proposing that we train them all of a sudden to be graphic designers because that's, that's not going to happen. But what, you know, when you're designing 
And what would you recommend are the key elements to maybe focus on when designing a book cover, whether you're actually the professional or whether you're an amateur who's trying to to give it your best shot? What are the, I mean, you've got the title, you've got the pictures, and maybe you don't have the pictures, but is there anything you would say just as sort of high-level principles that you use when you're designing a cover? Um, simplicity, I would say. I mean, the most memorable book covers um, and this goes as far as any kind of design, but the most memorable um, pieces are the simplest. You know, if you can find, you know, I brought up the tree earlier, but if you can find one one element uh, that you feel can be representative of your story in some way, even if in an abstract way, um, you know, people are going to notice that over a busier cover, um, or it's just going to stand out in their mind. Um, so definitely simplicity as far as imagery and as far as typography, um, that's number one. And, um, is there a second number or should I ask a question? Cause I have a follow-up question, but was it, were um, you going to say anything else or should I jump in? <laughs> I, I did, you said number um, well, one, so I didn't know if there was more. I didn't want to cut you off. How to be a designer, but yeah. You know, you you do have to be aware of market trends. Like, okay. uh, you know, I think sort of fighting the system and doing something totally um, weird, you know, unless you have, like, a really good reason for it is, you know, is probably not the way to go. You know, I think, you, you know, just aesthetically, um, people are all in tune to what's going out in the on in the world visually and I think you need to kind of feel that out and, and and you know be in tune with like what other people are attracted to and not just what you want you know right um, because in the end you are selling to the world you know you're not selling to yourself yeah yeah that's yeah that's another issue and uh Lots of different disciplines, right? It's and particularly in writing. Are you just writing this book for yourself, or are you writing it for the quote unquote world? But more specifically, what part of the world are you writing it for? Who is your audience? I mean, that's the question we hear over and over and over again in writing. And yeah, I assume it's the same with what you're doing because, yeah, like you exactly, said, young exactly. is it young adult? Is it mystery? Is it you know all those genres that you were just um, mentioning? The follow-up question that I was going to ask you a second ago, I just want to make sure I wasn't cutting you off, was with regards to something you said and a question that I had anyway, it's it's about typeface because both in professionally done uh, covers and then again in amateur covers that um, that individuals do, it seems like typeface is sort of, how can I say this? It seems as if it's 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 more powerful than you and it matters more than you might think, you know? And when when you don't have the right typeface, I think it sometimes can be the difference between a professionally looking cover and one that is is not quite as professionally looking. So can you tell me about about the importance of typeface? And I mean, it seems like it's an art in and of itself. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are amazing book covers out there that are solely based on type alone, um, and uh, you know, hours and hours of people laboring over just drawing beautiful letters. Uh, and so I definitely wouldn't, um, you know, just slap any, any typeface on, you know, your cover. I mean, in the end, 
you know, my advice is to hire a graphic designer, you know, if you can, because, um, you know, it's not easy to just learn about type, you know, in five minutes. It's definitely something that's taken me years and years to, um, to learn about. And there's still so many better type designers and um, typographers who are much better than I am. Um, so you design your own typefaces as well? That's something that, that you do in addition to the graphic design? Is that something most graphic designers do? It seems like, I didn't know, again, no, how much of an art that was in and of itself. It's definitely something that people specialize in um, now because there's a lot more available tools. Um there are more and more designers designing their own typefaces, and there's just more and more typefaces right. than there ever were before. How do you um, find I, how do you find a typeface? Given because even when I'm going through, let's say I'm designing, you know, a, a, a graphic for for my radio show, and I'll go through the list in Photoshop of typefaces, and it takes forever. And I'm playing around. I can't imagine, you know, until I find one that that seems okay. I can't imagine given what you're doing when you're creating something that's just on a whole other level, how long does it take you to even find the typeface and how do you sort through them all? Uh, so, <laughs> um, a lot of the time that it takes to design something can be finding the right typeface. I mean, especially designing a logo um, or doing, I'm working on a packaging project right now and it can just be all about the right typeface. Interesting. So, I mean, days and days you know, spent researching typefaces, and I often will find uh, obscure or, you know, brand new typefaces to use to help um, something stand out, you know, from the typefaces that tend to get too trendy or overused. Um, You know, there's like the big argument over Helvetica, you know, is it is it overused or is it a classic? Um, but then, you know, people try using uh, something Helvetica-like that might, you know, have a couple of unique characters or something um, just to help things stand apart. Uh, you know, it's hard to say if, like, the average person ever notices these details in the way designers do. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, I definitely have... A designer's going to have a lot more resources, you know, there are websites, the, the type designers have their own websites where you can, you know, look at brand new typefaces and not just use the, the standard list that comes in your, you know, Photoshop or sure, whatever. Sure. Yeah. So along the same lines here of just kind of different elements of, of, of the cover design or design in general, but cover design in this particular conversation, I'm going to read you a quote and I'm curious about your thoughts on this. So, Quote, the spaces are as important as the letters. And that's from, I'm not going to say this right, but Bertold Volpe or Wolpe. He's um, the man who made 15, over 1,500 book cover designs for Faber and Favor, which is a uh, famous British publishing house. So what about the spaces? What about the, the spaces between the letters? Are they as important as the letters themselves? Or not just not spaces in general, not just spaces between the letters, but thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, if you work with any kind of design, uh, you know, people always talk about white space and kind of, um, you know, leaving room for things to breathe. And, you know, the, the, the negative space in the actual letters, you know, 
uh, helps the type stay balanced and then the negative space on your page, you know, is going to help, you know, the important elements really stand out. You know, it's the same, it kind of goes back to when I said the number one thing I feel like is simplicity. Um, Don't crowd your page with too many things, you know, because the space is important. You know, it does leave everything room to breathe, you know, just like you wouldn't want your your house to be crowded in every corner, you know, the emptiness kind of gives it some air to breathe. So, um, yeah, I just, uh, the white space is is always important on a page. Yeah. Something else I was wondering, and this might be overthinking it, but maybe it's not. I'm just curious. When you're designing a cover, when designers are designing, designing a cover, is there any conscious thought given to the psychology behind how a person processes you know, that sort of layout? Or is it just, um, you know, I mean, I'm guessing there's some sort of pattern to how the mind is going to process things and maybe it varies depending on the design. So maybe it really, maybe there's not some sort of particular set pattern that you're designing to. But is there any conscious thought given to that or is it really just kind of that looks good and we know the eye is going to hit that, the title because we made the title that big? Like how much are you thinking about, um, again, how the brain is going to kind of process your layout? If at all, I don't think I don't think there's any scientific uh, checklist, you know, that that we go through to make yeah. sure. Um, I think that uh, with I think people are just so used to looking at you know design that instinctively you you know if something looks good or doesn't look good. Um, I mean, especially if you if you are a trained designer. Um, but even not, you know, I think that's, you know, you're not, we're not selling to designers again, like we're selling to, uh, to readers. So, uh, those people are obviously reacting to, um, to good, to good book covers as well. So, um, I think instinctively we just sort of know when something works. Um, I mean, there are some rules about, you know, obviously you don't want your type to be too small, you know, you want it. To, to be big, and then there are some things, you know, when it shows on, on your cover online, you don't want everything to be super tiny, that you can't read anything, and you want certain colors to be able to print on other color backgrounds and things like that, but um, a lot of that, I think, is, like, pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. What about, this is just a quick question, and then I want to, um, I want to talk about the history of book cover design, because I did a little research, and um, it was more interesting than I expected. But I noticed that, you know, you worked for MUCA, which is an Italian agency. I mean, it's based in New York City, but they do a lot of Italian books. And then I also saw that you'd done some packaging in Arabic. So I don't believe you speak either of those languages. So was that much of a challenge? I mean, were you worried at all, or you just make sure that someone who speaks this, particularly Arabic, because it goes from right to left, was it really not that big a deal because you just had someone there to tell you, yeah, that's fine, or did that present kind of some interesting challenges? <laughs> the Arabic was difficult because at the time, uh, so I work on a Mac, and the Mac doesn't, there's no way to actually set type from right to left, like ah. even in the, the how the high entire system works. So I actually had to uh, choose the typeface and then actually had to send that out uh, to a foreign typesetter to have the the type set for me, at least 
like any kind of longer type. Um, and I actually worked on a cookbook that had a lot of uh, Arab uh, Dari, I believe, on it um, as well. And so um, it was the same thing. It was that was just like an interesting thing to kind of learn about. But um, uh, I think in general the principles of design were were still the same. Sure. Um, you know, no matter what the the letter forms were it, it's hard for me to know exactly how that type does feel in a foreign country um yeah, yeah. we had worked on a um, number of projects in korea actually at muka and we had uh hired um korean designer to kind of help help with that in case there were any strange things happening that we weren't aware of but that was those were like much bigger projects yeah yeah um and with the Italian covers, I mean, those were obviously just uh, same, you same, same alphabet. Right, so there was alphabet. no technical challenges there. Um, and um, I did actually end up studying Italian for a year uh, to sort of help me. Um, we just were doing a huge number of, of covers. Um, so the, the language wasn't a challenge. The challenge with working with Italy was more that their uh, market was very different than uh, interesting. Uh, in the United States. Interesting. Um, and we had an Italian designer in my office kind of explain it to me once, and he said um, in, in Italy and in Europe uh, that the authors and the market is, tends to want to... Uh, make everything look very intellectual over there uh-huh. uh, versus in the United States, everything is much more commercial. And uh, the difference between those two is that the, the more intellectual skew um, tends to focus more on um, the classics. So we did a lot of book covers that had things like classical paintings on them, uh, just things that were very, uh, old, yeah. um, and, and then, you know, in the States, like we tend to, everything does tend to focus more on, uh, an emotional, um, trigger um, or, yeah, an emotional feeling. So, sorry, I'm having a little bit of an issue here. <laughs> um, Domestic issues. A little more uh-huh. of, um, a, a, Talking about emotion and about um, trends, so okay. it's less, right. less intellectual. Right. Interesting. Very interesting. So, I was going to ask you if book cover design was recognized anywhere, you know, as an art, you know, if there were museums of book cover designs and that sort of thing. And um, when I started poking around last night online to find out, I did actually find some exhibitions in in museums um, in different places. But I ended up stumbling upon some interesting facts about the history of book cover design. So I'm not sure how much of this will already be familiar to you, but I'm sure that most of my readers... Um, probably won't know much of this, but there's a Norman Rockwell Museum that's based in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, and they have an illustration history department or program or something along those lines. And they had an online article at their um, illustrationhistory.org site, and that gave some interesting insight into book cover history. So before the 18th century, or sorry, before the early 19th century, the 1800s, books were hand-bound 
as in luxury medieval uh, manuscripts using materials such as gold, silver, and jewels. And for hundreds of years, book bindings functioned as a protective device for the expensively printed or handmade pages and as a direct uh, decorative tribute to their cultural authority. So book covers literally acted as a protective cover initially. They weren't just covers in the sense of how we think of them today as just enclosing the interior pages. They were literally protecting the pages from the outside world. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. And also, again, the fact that historically they were even tributes to the books um, that they were protecting with jewels and things like that. I don't know. Have you ever um, done any book covers with gold, silver, or jewels? <laughs> um, we have done gold or silver foil, not, not a, no real gold. Ah, interesting. Okay, well, I wouldn't have even thought to ask that. So there, are, you have actually worked with, with gold and silver. Interesting. What kind of book was that that would use gold and silver foil? Oh, a lot of books. A lot of you, books. You're, just not, you're not thinking of it, but next time you go to the bookstore, you'll see it's all a over lot the place. Of foil. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, in the 1820s is when change began to occur in how a book might be covered with the gradual introduction of techniques for mechanical bookbinding. Cloth and then paper became the staple materials used as books became more affordable due to the introduction of steam-powered presses and mechanically produced paper. So not only were the new types of book covers less expensive to produce, they were also printable using multicolor lithography and later halftone illustration processes. Techniques borrowed from the 19th century poster artists gradually infiltrated the book industry, as did the professional practice of graphic design, and so in the 1820s then, is when graphic design was was born as a practice. Uh, did you already know that, Erica? Am I telling you stuff you already knew? I didn't know the exact date. <laughs> okay, now you know. Well, at least now you know the decade. I don't know if we. I don't know if they narrowed it down to a specific day, but yeah, apparently in the 1820s, and again, it was inspired by the uh, 19th century poster artists. The book cover became more than just a protection for the pages, uh, taking on the function of advertising. So again, I had just kind of assumed. You know that that's always what book covers did, but but that really is a relatively recent function of the book cover in the in the big picture. Uh, so taking on the function of advertising and communicating information about the text inside. Uh, the arts and crafts and art nouveau movements at the turn of the 20th century simulated or started stimulated a modern renaissance in book cover design that soon began to infiltrate the growing mass book industry through more progressive publishers in continental Europe, London, and New York. And some of the first radically modern cover designs were produced in the Soviet Union during the 1920s. In the post-war era, book covers became vitally important as the book industry became commercially competitive. So now now that we have this competition, all of a sudden the book covers matter um, Maybe not more, but they matter at least in a different sense. Many were illustrated, providing information about the genre and the subject of the book, and many pushed typography, there that is again, and designed to its limit in the hope of attracting sales attention. The era of internet sales has arguably not diminished the importance of the book cover, as it now continues its role in a two-dimensional digital form, helping to identify and promote books online. And again, those facts are all from illustrationhistory.org, which is part of the Norman Rockwell Museum. So to that last point, and you touched on this a second ago, um, how the, the internet and design is, with regards to book covers, is it pretty much just a question of, you know, when you're online, it's just a smaller picture of the same cover, or has it changed, um, you know, how you're designing, when you're designing covers, or, or, pack, or you know, whatever it is that you're designing for online media, Um are there really a lot of other considerations, or really is it really just a smaller version of what you would be doing otherwise? 
Yeah, I don't think it's. Um, I don't think uh, design itself has changed for for the internet. I think um, book sales are still going strong. I know that you know they were. This seemed for a while everybody was just starting to buy more electronic stuff, and then now it seems you know actual book sales are going back up again. Um, I I haven't heard or seen any changes being made for the digital um, age at all. Um, so uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I think the same same things are still happening um, as far as. Uh, design going. I mean, there's still, I mean, I'm still working on a lot of covers again that are using foil and still thinking about the actual tactile, you know, what is the feel of the cover. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that people are still buying the actual, you know, hard book yeah and you know you know now that you say that too i just i had completely forgotten about this but i saw an article recently and i have no idea where it was because like i said i completely forgot about this until just now when you started talking about the foil again that there's actually sort of a renaissance in book cover design i mean do you know anything that they're they're like paying more attention again i mean i have a lot of friends who do book covers and the the work that they're doing is Stunning, you know. It, there's really a lot of strong design, book cover design, still going on. And and as far as the design world, book books don't book cover design doesn't pay very well. Interesting. But, but, but people just that for designers, it's just an amazing, um, you know, media to show your work. Um, you know, it kind of is like its own art piece. You know. Right. Um, right. It, it and it becomes much more artistic than doing something like like packaging or um, branding um, a product, you know, because the the, the novel itself is sort of a, a work of art. So, right, right. Um, yeah, um, it is it is going through a renaissance. Interesting. Well, Erica, I had a lot more questions for you. Um, and I know right now you're specializing again, you've kind of gotten away from the book covers. So I appreciate you letting me take you back into that realm. I know you're focusing more now on the branding and the packaging and the websites. Um, and I know that you also, you know, you do have your own agency now. So I would really like to talk to you about that, you know, leaving, leaving behind the security and, and, and striking out on your own. Unfortunately, we're going to have to do that in another conversation, but let me just tell everyone, because um, you're taking on new clients currently, and I know, again, it's not necessarily for book covers, but in general, and well, are you taking on clients for book covers as well? Would you, or are you really not I focused do, on I that? I do still do book covers. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, if you are looking for a fantastic designer, first of all, look at my novel for a great example. It's A Voice Beyond Reason is the name of the novel, but then, of course, you can also go to Erica's website, which is Heitman, H-E- I-T-M-A-N dash Ford, like the car, dot com. That's Heitman dash Ford dot com. She has an amazing portfolio. I was so excited when she agreed to design my novel uh, cover. And I and I still look at it. Honest to God, I'm not just saying this to be nice, Erica. I look at the cover and I just think that is so cool. I could honestly, all this time later, uh, over a year later, I couldn't be happier with the cover. So, Well, that makes me really happy. I'm so happy. Yeah, no, honestly, honestly. Um, because, you know, I didn't know what to expect. And... Um, you know, so and the whole process was great and easy. And again, that's that's a longer conversation. 
I have to do a station ID now, so I have to say goodbye. But thank you again for being on the show. Thanks for calling in. And <laughs> let's do it again. Me. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Talk bye-bye. to you later. Thanks.